so in my first month working here, there are two parts of who I am in particular that everybody seems to want to know about. So number one is my name. Now my name is Mary Sellers Shaw. Everybody wants to know, is my name Mary? Is Sellers Shaw my last name? What on earth are you supposed to call me? My double name tends to throw people off. Um, But it also tells you something important about who I am and where I come from. So specifically, it gives you a pretty strong hint that I'm from the South. And also that my family really likes family names and that they are passed down generationally, like my mother's maiden name, Sellers. Now the other thing that people all have been wondering about is how the session possibly got away with hiring another Alabama fan to be on staff. Well, I will admit to being a fan from birth, and that is something we can set up a coffee about later if we need to. So from this, there are two things that you need to know about me and know about who I am. I go by Mary Sellers, and I believe that Roll Tide is an acceptable answer to any situation in life. (laughs) Who we are and who we say that other people are is an important part of our faith journey. In today's gospel, Jesus asks his disciples just this, to tell him what the rest of the community was saying about him, and then to differentiate who the disciples thought that he was. This question was not an attempt to find out the latest idle gossip about Jesus, but rather so that Jesus could reveal something new about himself to his followers. But first, they needed to be on the same page. When we examine the context of this conversation, we find that Jesus has led the disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi was a known location for the worship of pagan gods, as well as a temple for Herod the Great. The disciples would have been a bit thrown off by this, wondering why Jesus had decided to bring them all the way to what would have been considered an unclean place of pagan worship. It's with this background, then, that Jesus asks them who people say that Jesus is. Jesus is contrasting himself to the other idols and gods of the day, calling the crowd to see him as someone greater. Disciples tell Jesus that others have believed him to be a prophet, Elijah, or the resurrected John the Baptist, but they know him to be the Messiah. Then Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone, a move that carries throughout the book of Mark in what's called the Messianic secret. Over and over again in the gospel, Jesus tells people not to reveal his miracles or his identity as the Messiah. And perhaps this was in part because he knew that he did not fit into people's understanding of who the Messiah would be or how the Messiah would appear. The Messiah, meaning anointed one, had connotations of strength and power, a conqueror coming to overthrow the government and begin a new reign. They certainly did not expect the Messiah to humble himself by dining with the poor and being humiliated on the cross. And it's for exactly this reason that Peter rebukes Jesus when Jesus predicts his death. Peter got the answer right about who Jesus is, but only in part. 
Jesus is shifting the community's understanding of his identity and reminding them that their preconceived notions about who the Messiah would be were not totally correct. He was reminding them that we cannot put a label on someone to encapsulate the whole of who they are. A few years ago, I was a small group leader at Montreat High School Conference, and we did an activity where we each had to tape a stereotype on a note card to our forehead. And then we each had to treat each other only like their stereotype, each attempting to guess what the label we had been given. Jock, nerd, goody-goody, rich, anxious, super Christian. And after we had guessed all of our labels, we came back and asked ourselves, how did it feel to be put in a box? And what stood out is how easy it was to treat someone only as their label described. Each of us has a set identity that people know us by, and a lot of times we buy into it. When someone asks, who are you? After we share our name with them, we often will start talking about what we do, who our children or our spouse are, or where we are from. We cling to these markers of our identity and often seek to find them out about others as well so that we know how to place them in our world. Sometimes this looks like making connections. You play six degrees of separation to find out who you know in common, or you realize that you both went to the same college. But these questions of placement and our answers to them can also separate us if we don't find out what we're looking for. These labels can become dangerous if we forget to see the humanity beyond them. Justice Peter didn't get the answer that he sought as to who the Messiah was, so should we remember that people are much more complex than we see on the surface. We are messy and multifaceted, but also full of hope, just as with the crucifixion. We also need to ask ourselves who we see God as. Who do you say that Jesus is? A redeemer? A suffering servant? A mighty conqueror? Savior? An example for our lives? We each have different pieces of Christ's identity that we most resonate with, and we often fight for our understanding of who God is as the only right one. And yet, our understandings of God can coexist and even help develop one another more fully. Christ can call us to both love one another and live peacefully and also to stand up for justice in the world. Christ can want us to be safe and also require that we welcome the refugee and all those who need homes. And Christ can worship at the walls of the temple in Jerusalem and also fight for the borders to be broken down and for children to be reunited with their families. And this is the importance of the question that Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? Because Jesus is always going to be bigger than we alone could understand. And that is why we must live and worship and serve in community together so that we can come just a tiny bit closer to understanding what it means to have a Messiah and so that we can see Christ's identity in each person around us.
Identity is a funny thing, though. We can't always exactly pinpoint who we are. We can cling to the ideas of who we should be or what our lives should look like in the hopes of portraying an idealistic image. We post images online of edited pictures full of remarkable events in our life. And yet, if Jesus was on Instagram, we might only get to see pictures of healed, smiling people surrounding a Jesus with no scars. When Jesus tells his disciples not to focus on human things but on divine ones, he is reminding them to set aside their idols, those pagan gods that were present at the Caesarea Philippi, but also the idols of wealth, of power, of popularity that plague us all. Jesus is telling his followers not to cling to the things of the world that were holding them back from being in relationship with him. And our passage today comes from the turning point of the book of Mark. Up to this point, Mark has been discussing Jesus' ministry and miracles, but now they make a turn both in scripture and physically back towards the cross. You see, Caesarea Philippi is located at the farthest point from Jerusalem that Jesus goes in his ministry. So here he looks back at the holy city and then begins his journey to the crucifixion with the rest of the book foreshadowing and leading up to his death and resurrection. Now this journey is reminiscent of Joseph Cannibal's monomyth, a theory of the pattern that stories often follow. And in the monomyth, or the hero's journey, a hero goes through trials and tribulations to seek self-discovery. The story starts when they leave home in a call to adventure. They go through challenges and temptations, finally reaching the point, the turning point, as they are transformed from who they once were. The hero then begins to travel back into the known arriving where they began, but altogether different than where they started out. In Jesus' story, he is at the turning point, moving back now towards Jerusalem. And it is this story that reveals to us finally that Jesus' identity is different than the disciples had first expected. This journey has taken them all into a path of self-discovery, something they are not altogether comfortable with yet. But when Jesus tells the disciples to lose their life for his sake and for the gospel, to deny themselves and follow him, he is saying, get up, find out who you truly are. Don't hold on to the things of this world. Let go of the idols that you have been holding on to that keep you from moving forward. He is telling them to take the next step on their own hero's journey, moving away from comfort towards a place of being transformed. We often follow this same path in the developments of our own identity. Life is full of moments of traveling away from home to seek something new, and it can be uncomfortable. We repeatedly lose our old way of life and find life anew. In a new school year, with new jobs, sending your kids off to college, getting married, retiring, 
these changes sometimes feel like we're losing a grasp on the life that we knew before and the identity that we thought that we held. And we can find ourselves getting homesick for how things used to be. This time in particular brings out a lot of these types of changes. Because with the start of the new school year, students and working people alike have to shift our mindsets back into the routine that fall calls for. Over the summer, we were able to relax a little more, maybe sleep in some, take a vacation. We were able to get comfortable. And then when we come into this new place, a place that might look similar to what it did before, such as maybe with a new school year, but also that can just turn life upside down, like for me, starting a new job here with you all. But whatever that transition may be, life sometimes looks different than it did yesterday. And when these transitions happen, when we lose a piece of our old life, it is easy to turn them into idols that we cling to as essential for our identity. And the difficult part of this passage is that it is hard to let go. We don't want to lose our old life sometimes. And it's not easy to give up our identities that we form through comparison, basing who we are on what we do or have. And while Disney can tell us to let it go, we do care what other people say about us, and we cling to the traditions of how things are supposed to be. Even when we start something new and exciting, there's a grieving process of letting go of the comfort of the familiar. But just as the church is reformed and always reforming, so are we constantly being molded and shaped by God. Our lives, our faith, and our understanding of our identity do and should grow with us as we move through life. Jesus is calling us to new life in him and to find our identities not in the things of this world. He is inviting us to find the base of our identity in God instead, knowing that we are children of God and that that is the foundation of everything else that we do. So when we put on our name tags at church, and I hope that you will, and are in fellowship with one another, let us call one another by name and recognize all as members of the body of Christ. Let us remember to meet one another in this journey, challenging our community not to be stagnant, but to grow into the multifaceted ways that we can live out our faith in the world. When we are faced with this question of who are you, we are called to see ourselves and one another in the fullness of our identity in God, always growing and learning more as we continue our own hero's journey away from home through transformation and made new in Christ. And when Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? Let us recognize that Jesus is not just my Jesus or First Presbyterian Franklin's Jesus or the Presbyterian Jesus. Jesus is always working in ways that are bigger than we could have possibly imagined. 
and let us give thanks for that. Amen.